Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. A series in which we are going through uh, the Gospel of Mark verse by verse, uh, section by section, as much as we can. We can't get through it all, but it is one of the shortest Gospels, and um, we're going to hit on that this summer. Uh, And the Gospel of Mark was written uh, in a time of Roman Empire rule in which um, there was a lot of conflict among Jerusalem. And uh, w- the reason why we want to go through this gospel is just to remind us as a community that we are a community of Jesus. Uh, by so many, uh, distri- we, I don't know about you, but if, as a follower of Jesus, as people as a church, we're followers of Jesus. And um, it's easy to get s- distracted by so many other things, um, to see so many other things as important and to just lose touch with the fact that we are a community of Jesus. And so my hope for you this summer, if you're part of this church, is that you would just, with intentionality over the summer, like know Jesus more, know his way, know his purpose. Um, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, we, we hope the same is for you. But I know that that can kind of feel weird saying like, hey, I want you to know Jesus. That's kind of like me coming here and saying like, hey, I want you to meet my cousin. Do you want to marry her? And you're like, uh, the information commitment ratio is a little off here. Um, not so sure about that. And so we want you to feel like this is a safe place for you to explore, for you to ask questions, uh, for you to just dip your toe into the waters of the way of Jesus. Amen? Um, and so, uh, yeah, we, we're going to launch into this Gospel of Mark, and we just want to really, uh, this to be a teaching series. We want you to understand what the Bible is trying to say. Uh, we want this series to help you really uh, fall more in love with Him and His way. Um, now, if we're going to get to know Jesus, we have to understand what was important to Jesus, um, because what, as human beings and as God was fully man, fully God, what, what Jesus thought about is what he cared about, and what he cared about is what he chases and what, uh, wants us to chase. And the same is true of you. Whatever you think about is what you love, and what you love is what you chase. And um, the, this call is to, today is just to understand what's most important to Jesus, um, does anyone know what Jesus talked about more than anything else? Does anybody have any, this is a particip- participatory moment. Anybody have any guesses, thoughts? Money? Kingdom? Love? All right, Ryan's got it right. It's kingdom. Um, Jesus talked about the kingdom more than any other things. Um, in the New Testament alone, uh, the word kingdom of God is used over, uh, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is used over 80 times. Um, another Bible nerd question, does anybody know how many times the Old Testament uses the phrase kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven? We got zero, 27, uh, two, two times, all right, you guys are close, so, um, yeah, two times, so Jesus is clearly doing something new, he's, but this is something new, but it's not something new, it's, it's, all the themes are there of this kingdom of God language, and we don't really, we're at a disadvantage because we don't, think of kingdoms. We don't, we don't think of, we don't have princes and princesses. And even the word kingdom is a male-centric term that has like, you know, connotations to it. Um, and we don't really think of kingdoms except for Game of Thrones or watching a show, Netflix TV show, right? And so, so, um, but, so I want to talk about what is the kingdom? Uh, what is the kingdom of God and how do we participate in it and what does it look like? All right. Is that cool? Um, so, first of all, this phrase Jesus says is he announces the kingdom of God. And when he, annou- he says, I've come to bring you the good news, the good news of the kingdom. 
that the kingdom of God is here and it is at hand. Uh, and so throughout the Old Testament, there's these, even though it doesn't use the word, there's these themes of kingdom all the way back to the very beginning, the first pages of our Bible. God is portrayed as this creator, um, one who reigns and kind of rules, has this, like, this sense of, of power in his life. Um, and what does he do? He, he is that reign and rule. When you think of kingdom, think the reigning of God or the rule of God. Um, we looked at last week, but that, is not a, that sounds very like bad news to us because most kings are oppressive, right? Um, but this king is one who's rightful and good and, and, and just. Um, and what does that king do in the very beginning of our story? He, he says, I want man and woman to coexist and co-create like, with me. I want you to have dominion over the earth, and, and, and I want you to be creators and cultivators of this earth. So this king wants us to participate in this work, um, and he does. He says you can participate. Now, he's taking this risk because things could go horribly wrong, and they do. We don't participate rightly with him. Um, we participate wrongly because we're influenced by this, what the scripture calls the evil one, uh, the Satan, this evil power in our world that we all acknowledge exists but have a hard time describing where it comes from. And uh, now, because of that influence, there's a clash of kingdoms. There's a clash of kingdoms between God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness, in which we have a choice as his participants to either be on, participate in one or the other. Um, and so this story goes on in which Jesus then comes and, and, and culminates. And now Jesus is saying, now the time is at hand, God's kingdom has come near. It's here. Um, and so um, the, the, the things of a kingdom are these, uh, these descriptions throughout. There's a king. Um, there's a king, first of all. If you're going to have a kingdom, there has to be a king. Scripture is saying that Jesus is the king. He's, there's these phrases of Jesus. Next slide. Um, uh, no, not that one. <laughs> there's one like titles of Jesus. That's okay if you don't have it. But there's these titles of Jesus within this passage that we read. He's called the Son of God. He's called the Anointed Christ, the Christ, which just means King. Christ is not Jesus' last name. His parents were Mary Christ and Joseph Christ, right? Like, that was a title. Um, so anytime you hear Jesus Christ, just hear Jesus King. Uh, that's, that's what the phrase meant. And so he was also, John the Baptist says he's the stronger one, and who's, I'm not a worthy to untie his sandals, that he's a stronger one coming than the strong one on this earth. And that he's the one that's going to come baptized with the Spirit. And he's, then he hears a voice from heaven that affirms that he's the beloved Son of God. And then he's driven to the desert to meet Satan to reverse the tragedy of this clash of kingdoms um, in which he overcomes. And so this king, first of all, is a king. And he's not a king of our own version of us. I think a lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think of him as just like a, a better cultural version of our culture. Um, and so we just project who we are and who our culture is onto Jesus, and he's just a better cleaned up version of us. Um, he's not that. He's, he's the one who actually is, is, is reigning and ruling, and he has a rule. Um, back to those other slides of that list. So he's a king and he has a rule, and when you hear rule, don't think like rules. A rule meaning that the kingdom basically is God's version of the good life. So if you right now have a version of the good life, a version that is the good life for you, a vision of life. Like, ask yourself, what is the vision of life that is truly life right now for you? What is that? What is your good life? What does it look like? What is your vision for that? What is that thing that you are after in your story? This is the kind of stuff Jesus is speaking to. This is the shorthand kingdom for the rule, in other words, the good life. Um, this word rule comes from like uh, this ancient like Latin word trellis, 
that it's like, what's the structures in your life that are going to bring life? What's the vase that you're creating so that, that the flower can grow? And Jesus is saying, there's a structure, there's a way that life works best, and it's the good life of God, and it's the vision of the good life. But not just that, it's a vision to be experienced by a people. This kingdom has a people, and it's you and me. And that we are these people that are to participate in this here and now and experience that the kingdom is supposed to be a reality experience. So when Jesus goes all throughout the Gospel of Mark proclaiming the kingdom, he's healing people, um, helping people who are sick become, become better, helping people who are blind have sight. He's, he's uh, confronting religious corruption. Um, so he is going around, um, you could say, deconstructing and reconstructing, right? Um, we're a little early for Christmas, but um, next time Christmas rolls around, um, try this out for your next Christmas party. And someone says, you're thinking about cre- Christmas, just tell them that Christmas is about destruction. And you're like, what? Yeah, yeah, say the reason for the season is destruction. And where do I get that? It's 1 John 3, 8. It says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy something. And in, in, in this, we see this clash of kingdoms. He's just deconstructing things. And, and some of us think of that as a bad thing, but we have to think of all the positive things. All they are is destroying the, the works of darkness. Like you think about healing, and we're destro- it's destroying um, the work of disease. You think about reconciliation, it's destroying the idea that one race is superior to the other. Uh, this is what Jesus comes to do. This is what the kingdom is. It's a way for a people to be experienced. And so this, it's a rule and it's a way. It's good news, Jesus says. He says, this is the good news. It's the good news of the kingdom. It's a way that works for us, and it's good news for our violent and very conflicted world where ego dominates and where we hurt one another and then we hurt out of our hurt. And the cycle continues, that this way is good news, that it is a way that we can um, see that Jesus is king and he is Lord. And this Jesus that we worship has a, a love for justice and a, a love for social order. All throughout the Old Testament, he demands the right treatment for those at the bottom of society. And it is not uncommon that those under judgment in God's scriptures were actually God's people who were oppressing actual followers of God themselves, that Israel abandoned widows and the poor. And this is a very sad theme of our biblical history. But Jesus comes brings this way, and he's bringing this way to a particular place. I love what C.S. Lewis says, is that this world is is a place of enemy-occupied territory. This is what this world is. And Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. Some say landed in disguise, and he's calling us to participate and take on that great campaign of sabotage. And so we, as God's people in this kingdom, are called to take on this this campaign of overcoming the darkness, of living under this king. Does this, does this make any sense to anybody? Are you guys following me? Thanks for letting me just give you a little bit of like nerd out on kingdom language here for a minute. Um, I know it's something that is not really something we talk about. But what's crazy is this promise comes from the social location of Galilee. Now, you've got to remember, Galilee is on the margins. The center of Jerusalem, I mean, the center of Jewish history is Jerusalem, the city of peace. But yet this kingdom, everybody would have thought would have come... The, The problem is God's people thought that this Messiah king was going to be a political king. And Jesus comes on and says, no, this is not a political king. I'm a king of another world. And he comes to Galilee proclaiming good news. In other words, this is not going to come from the place of power. It's coming from the place on the margins. 
And so he pronounces this kingdom, that it's at hand, it's near. In other words, you can reach out and grab it. You can reach out and touch it. You can reach out and experience this kingdom. And the sequence of Mark is very, first 1 through 15 is just building up this climax. It's like Mark is introducing John the Baptist, who's going to introduce the stronger one, who's going to introduce the gospel, who's going to introduce the kingdom. And then the next week we're going to get into, Bam's going to teach on, is it just gets really anticlimactic. It's like, and then Jesus went to some low-life fisher, fishermen and said, hey, come follow me. And you're like, wait, what a minute, there's like this buildup of hugeness, and this is going to be the it. He's going to overtake the world. He's going to help Jerusalem have power, and then he goes and does some ordinary thing and meets the lowly. And I think that that's like the way God's kingdom works. It works in unexpected ways. And it works in the ordinary of life. He takes this big vision And it makes us this power in ordinary life, these power of moments that we live in our life. And that's the question that God's asking all of us is, are you going to let these little moments of your life, these ordinary mundane moments, are you going to allow yourself to see the kingdom of God breaking in? Are you going to be able to open yourself to the kingdom of God? Are you going to be able to open yourself to the way of Jesus, the way of of love? And and so he's saying this is a new possibility that we expect God to swoop into our life in some big way, and if it's really meaningful, it's got to be this dramatic thing. But these power, power of moments, these pockets of time where the kingdom of God can come near, where we can actually encounter it, it's going to have highs and lows, we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark. It's going to have triumph and failure. Disciples are going to take risk, but they're going to get it radically wrong. They're going to hurt each other, and they're actually going to hurt each other's feelings. They're going to even hurt Jesus' feelings. And they're, they're going to get it wrong so many times. And really what we're talking about, if I could explain kingdom, is really the culture of God. That the culture of God is the thing that guides us more than any of our cultures. That it's his culture that's the thing that we're after more than anything else. That we integrate ourselves into his way and get back on the path. So how do we participate in this, this, this vision of the kingdom. How do we participate? Jesus is going to use these words that sound very religious to us, repent and believe the good news, right? Um, so how do, we, how do we enter in? Um, when, I wor- when I say the word repent, that obviously probably makes you think of like sin, this, this crazy thing, um, this horrible experience, uh, hellfire and brimstone. Um, I remember for, there's this sense that like to participate, basically what Jesus is saying is just say yes, just like poker, like I'm all in, my chips are all in. Like, just say yes to this way. That's what he's saying. Um, growing up, for, for me, though, this, this language was, um, there was like this strong emphasis in church of like uh, the big invitation and these big, these big moments. And for me, like growing up in church, we would sing songs, like basically, like, we're going to sing this song, it would be the invitation song. We're going to sing it over and over again until someone comes down front and talks to the pastor. You guys remember, you're like, come on, guys, like, I'm dying. I got a pot roasting at home. It, let's get this thing going, man. It's like, Uncle Hank, we know you're the only sinner in here. Like, get down there. Come on. Like, let's get out of here. And then, you know, you're just like, sing Just As I Am. You remember Just As I Am? Just as I am without one plea. It was like this haunting song. It just haunted your soul. It was like something about it. And, um, and we would create these moments where, like, the invitation was always, like, give your life to Jesus, uh, rededicate your life, or become a member of the church. Like, do you guys remember this? Anybody else that grew up in church? Um, and so this was my experience. Um, and we kind of, 
And then there was these camp-like experiences, and there was always a little element of manipulation involved, to be honest. It was, you know, um, you would have, like, people come down to the front, and there'd be a massive crowd, and you would say to your neighbor, if you want to go forward, I'll go with you. And you would do these things to kind of get as many people down to the front as possible. And, it, and, and, and there's, there's something to that, like, where then you hear these stories, someone's like, oh, I was addicted to heroin, and then I gave my life to Jesus, and I never did anything again for the rest of my life. And you're like, yes, that can happen, but that's not my story, and now I just feel like I'm worthless. Jesus didn't really do much in my life. Um, and I, I tease at all this, but I do think, like, I look back at those moments with a little bit of mixed feelings, but there's something about uh, this sense of galvanizing commitment. Um, that Jesus is doing here when he announces this kingdom, where he's saying repent and believe. He's saying there's like there's something to like saying yes. Uh, that's what repentance is, is saying no to all the other lesser loves and saying yes to one that is greater. It's really, repentance is a picture of marriage. Anybody who's entered into that covenant said no to all these other potential people um, to be partners and said yes to one that's better. Um, it's that kind of thing. That's what repentance is, is you're t- saying no to these things. My allegiance is no longer to you. You're not my, my king. As we prayed, these worldly claims on my life are not my guide anymore, but you are God. And, and that's what it is. It just means the word to change, to change. Are you open to change? And this word belief, like belief has real, what it meant then is not what it means today. Uh, the word belief now has been shaped much more by Greek philosophy and thought. Um, it's like an intellectual concept, um, right? We say, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And so what we've done with that is said, if you pray this prayer and you understand this intellectually, then you're part of the kingdom. And, but then James 2 says that even the demons believe and shudder, right? And so like this sense of like intellectual consent um, to this story is not what Jesus is talking about. Like, the better word for that is, is trust. Like, do you trust this way? Do you trust that this is the good way? Um, even, I love uh, Dallas Willard's quote of this. Um, he talks about faith. Um, he says, the word faith is a real problem in our time. It has become respectable. Trust is, he, said, he says, uh, how many churches do you know that have the word faith in their name, right? Like the faith so-and-so church, faith life church, or whatever, faith community church. How many of the words have trust? <laughs> like the trust church. We're the church that trust, right? We don't use that word. It's because trust is sloppy. It's out on the street. It's a battlefield between God and between Satan that are struggling for the soul of man and woman. But faith, faith is quite nice. It's very prim and decent and proper even. But trust is messy. And so for many of you, like, this, this idea of galvanizing a commitment, like, that's some, for many of you, you've, you've flirted with the faith. Um, you've, you've flirted with uh, the faith. You're here because you love someone here, or you're here because your family brought you here, or friends brought you here. Um, but you, you've never really, like, there's been seeds planted all along, but you've never really, like, said, I just say yes and commit to following this, this God. Um, others of you have made that commitment, but, you, like, for whatever reason, you've been knocked off that journey, like you've, you don't really sense a, a, a commitment and intentionality to the way of Jesus anymore. It's like it's there, and you're kind of through the r- routine of things, and um, Jesus' thrust of this message is kind of like today's the day. As silly as those like commitments were back then, he's kind of saying it's time to have a commitment to Jesus again. 
whether you've done that a long time ago or you've never done it before, it's like today's the day. There's a sense of urgency to these disciples, he calls. He says, come follow me, leave your boats. He's saying, today's the day that you commit to me. Today's the day you say yes to me. That's what repentance and faith are. And so that's, that's really the, the way we participate in this kingdom without delay. And so today, like some of you are, are tired or burnt out. Um, some have pain that has forced you to a, to a season of reset of like, I just don't know what I'm doing right now. Um, falling into patterns uh, that don't really reflect Jesus. And you're here and you want to get back on that path. You want to get back on that path. You want to mark out this day as one that you consciously get back on the path. And Jesus says, today's the day. Like if, if you're convinced of this, like that's the invitation is that you would say, yeah. Now, if you're, not, if you're just here, like, and you're not convinced of this, don't make some weird commitment. Don't make some weird commitment to something that you just, you're not convinced of. But if you have ears to hear, and this is a compelling vision for your life, today's the day just to re, re-enter and say, I want to get back on the path of Jesus, amen? And the picture of this uh, that the scriptures give us, the symbol of what it looks like, is really both symbolically represented through baptism. Um, John the Baptist came baptizing. Uh, he came baptizing and saying, this was new. This was not something of old. Um, uh, and old, wise, old ways is the Jewish people would just wash themselves. John the Baptist says, you need someone else to, to, to wash you. Um, and he would come and come to the wilderness on the margins, say, come out to here, to this place. All of you Jewish people, the, the Gentiles would get baptized into the Jewish faith, but he says, all of you who are Jewish and you think you have it all, you need to be washed. You need to be clean. And so they would baptize. And Jesus comes out being baptized among the crowd. I used to think this, when I had the vision of Jesus getting baptized, I always thought it was like, oh, this Aurora thing, and everybody's looking, and there's just like Shagina glory coming down, and Jesus walks out by himself. That's not what Mark says. Mark says he was just waiting in the crowd with all the community to be baptized as one of them, Um, to stand in solidarity with us. Now, Jesus didn't need to be baptized. We, we see that, we believe that Jesus didn't have any sin. He didn't have any flaws. But he's doing it to show us, I have solidarity with you. Like, I stand with you. Um, and he actually, some of the old early church fathers says that they, he did it to hallow the waters. He did it to purify the waters, to make this a symbol. And what baptism is, is it's saying you're, you're going under the water to say, I'm, being, I'm dying to this old kingdom that's been guiding my life, and I'm being raised to a new one. I'm being raised to a new one. Um, and then the early second century followers had this uh, vow. Baptism was like a vow, uh, and it was a vow and a commitment. And when Jesus was baptized, it says that there was the, the heavens parted, and there was a, a heavens parted, there was a tear, the word schizo, and that the heavens parted. And then Mark only uses that, one more, that term one more time. He says um, that when the temple curtain tore at the end of the gospel, when Jesus died, there's the same term, that Jesus was tearing apart the old way of religion and bringing something revolutionary. And that's what baptism is. It's this revolutionary ritual to a new way. It tears open our addiction to division. It tears open the heavens and the earth, the division between heaven and earth. It tears open the division between us and God. It tears open the division between us and the other, the other gender the other neighborhood, the other tax bracket, the other country, the other nation, the other race, the other religion. It tears open these divisions. And it was a vow to follow the kingdom, follow the way, um, much like when a vow of marriage. And the vows had significance. 
It was the sense that, like, I am not going to live my life by a sense of rules and regulations. I don't need a list of rules. I don't need a list of, of, of legislation. I need a liberator. It was a vow that I need a liberator, a rightful king, who's going to liberate me from this darkness. And these vows were a commitment, and these were the vows. And these, we say these vows to the, uh, in our congregation. In fact, Kelsey baptized Brian years ago, and, and they said these vows over this baptism. And the vows were this. This is what they've said over baptism for ever since the second century. Um, very old and very ancient, but very meaningful today. And I want you to think about these vows because they, vow, they echo the call to repentance and that Jesus embodied this when he went under baptism. Listen to these vows. The baptism candidate would, would hear this question, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? And the answer was, I renounce them. And Satan intimately connected back then, even with the real political powers, the empire. That's what Mark is writing against, this like empire of Rome. Um, to resist Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness is to resist the evil forces of empire that created hatred, that this sense of demonic strongholds that they were resisting. And the second question, do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? And this was not just sin, but this evil power, this this sense of demonic spirit that makes us where we can't even see dignity in the other, that we can't see dignity in the other person, whoever that other is, whether it's a gender or neighborhood or race or religion, that we can't see dignity in our enemy. He's saying I, we renounce that kind of evil that corrupts and destroys the creatures of God. And then the third question was, do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? And he says, I renounce them, that we're reminded that the love of God is the center of it all. It is a powerful resolve to renounce like all these, these voices and loops in our head when we hear them and experience them. We renounce all these sense of how we rely on our personality that gives us a little shot in the arm to make us feel like we're secure, to make us feel like we're powerful, to make us feel like we're, we're meaningful and significant. We renounce all those little shots in the arm that we give ourselves by relying on our, our ego, and we begin to rely on the way of Jesus again. We renounce all those things. And then, and then there was these commitments, these turnings. He says, do you turn to Jesus and accept him as your savior? I do. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? I do. Do you promise to follow and obey him? I do. These commitments are like the core of the Christian identity, the core of following Jesus. And, and he makes this very powerful commitment point. And so baptism gives us the picture of what it means to participate. It's this commitment. Like, are we committed to these things, church? Are we committed? And baptism is a sense of source for the first time you get baptized. If you've never been baptized, uh, we blow up a, a baptism. We, we put up a portable baptism and, and dunk right here. And so if that's something you're interested in, we, please let us know. Mark it on your card. But if you have been baptized, this is a chance for us to remember and be inspired by our baptism. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, every morning I cleanse my face, I remember my baptism. Every morning I cleanse my face, I remember my baptism, that the moment that I was transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of love, that there is this new identity that now leads me to a new activity, an activity of justice, an ethical way of treating each other, a way of life, of love and peace and hope and goodness and joy. That is what I'm after. That is what we are after, Missio Dei, is not to just come here as a ritual, but to say, I want to come and I want to intentionally be shaped by the way of Jesus. That's why we're here. 
We're not. We're here to re-up that commitment, and to re-enter and to enter that commitment for the first time for some of us. And so Jesus is baptized with this water, and he hears a voice from heaven says, "You are my beloved son. I'm well pleased." That without that love, you're you will have cause fatigue. Without hearing that voice, that you are loved by God, you are a child of God, deeply loved. You will have cause fatigue, purpose fatigue. You will run dry. You will burn out. But this kingdom announces that you are that kind of loved person. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Um, God, we, we come to you, and we come and just, uh, for many of us, just, I want to ask you that question. Whose kingdom are you living for? Do you renounce the ways of darkness and just trust this God again? Do you trust him? Do you have like the resolve, the courage to just say, God, I want to, I want to, like this is, for many of you, this has been a season where um, you are a follower of Jesus, but there is like not, intentionality in that and that's that's not just a one-time thing that's like for me i just been things this week where i've had to say god i i need to recommit to you like i am not following your way like I, i'm following the way of me i'm not following your way and that's a regular thing where we we intentionally say like god this is a time i mark today as a day that i am committing to you and committing to following you I'm changing. I'm open to trust and I'm open to change. And so we're not going to like sing a song for hours and say, we're not leaving until someone comes down the aisle. But we do want to like offer you a moment to make that commitment, to galvanize commitment. Um, maybe for some of you, that's as simple as like writing it on one of these cards in your seats and turning it into the box by the coffee or up here and just letting one of the pastors know so we can reach out to you. You just want to say, like, I want to recommit my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be all in. Whatever language you want to use, use it. Um, others of you, like, maybe you want to pray with one of us, with, with me or Bam or some of our deacons or leaders. We're going to be back in the back corner um, by the, the, the glass over here and we're going to be there available for prayer if anybody wants to just pray and say like I want to follow Jesus or I want to recommit with intentionality I haven't been intentional um, we want you to be able to I want you to feel the weight of the way Jesus' words meant to the original people because that's the kind of thing he was calling us to to say the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. You can touch it. You can reach out and grab it. You can reach out and experience life today. You can experience joy today. You can experience power today. And no, this is not going to mean that life is just going to be triumphant from here on out. But Jesus has made a couple Jesus has made a couple of promises to us. One, He's promised that he will never leave you or forsake you. Throughout scriptures, he promises that. I will never leave you or forsake you. Two, he says, I promise to give you abundant life. You know what the third promise is? I promise you'll always have trouble. <laughs> so any gospel that says, you'll no longer have trouble, that's a false gospel. That's not the kingdom. 
but he promises, I will be with you, and I will give you life. As we live in this already but not yet clash of kingdoms, I will show you the way forward. 